Ta-da. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hi. That's fun, man. Something's going to happen tonight. So I don't know what it is, but let's be on the lookout for it. Um, yeah, the spirit's stirring. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here at Kairos. Kairos is our honest and unique attempt to connect to God and each other. When we gather here, we want to kind of become the people who bring the whole gospel to the whole person, anywhere, anytime, any place. What do you mean by gospel? I mean, it's just good news. It's good news that God's made a way for us to live life with him. It's good news that we're distinguished from every other faith system on the world today, where most of them say, hey, you have to do this to get here. Well, our worldview says, God said, I'm going to do this to get there so I can get you here. That's the gospel. And so we want to be able to engage people in ways uh, that are compelling um, and compassionate so that we can show them the Jesus that we know and love. Um, we just, one of the ways that we want to do that is we want to tell the truth about God and we want to tell the truth about ourselves. And not just tell the truth about ourselves, you know, like our biggest dreams, our deepest desires. I love what St. Augustine says. He says, I want to know God and know myself. Nothing else, nothing else. Because it's out of that awareness that we're deeply able to be involved in community and compel the mission of God forward. But we're not just talking about our hopes and dreams. We're also going to be the kind of people who are brave enough and honest enough to say uh, when we're in the middle of doubt and despair. Uh, when we're not sure we have it all figured out. We want to be the kind of people who can ask the questions, is God really real? And is he really going to provide for me? And when I finally call out to God, does he see me and does he hear me? And when God calls me out to do something, is he really going to provide? Is he really going to do the things that he said he would do? And I think it's us having the courage to ask those questions that oftentimes opens up our heart to hear directly from God and something that he wants to say. But first of all, um, how many of you just love the sound of that, by the way? We just got done Labor Day, and this thing took a beating in my backyard. Um, I don't know what it is. The second I hear that, I just want to punt it as far as I can. Um, and so I was watching, my son's taking soccer, and I think he likes to use this because he can bend it like Beckham with this thing, and he's not so great with the actual real soccer ball. But they'll get it out, and they'll start going out uh, into the backyard. We had lots of friends, lots of quasi-cousins hanging out. And when the littles see the big kids play and they'll get out there to start kicking it around and the little kids will come running up. And the first thing that they'll do is they'll call out, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. Now, most kids are dirty, rotten sinners. Um, <laughs> and you know, because you were probably this kid, you're like, get away from me, little kid. We got a game going on. Um, but sometimes my kids are actually kind of nice and they'll be nice to Maggie or Christopher and after they call out, hey, I want to play, let me in the game, kick me the ball, finally they get it kicked to. So, you know, here, here, what's your first instinct? Who wants to grab that? By the way, catch that. Great. And what's your first instinct once I've given that to you? What do you want to do with it? Do you want to throw it back or do you want to keep it? See, exactly. Sinner, <laughs> throw it back. I'm glad we're telling the truth tonight. Because that's exactly what happens with my little kids. It gets kicked to them. They've been initiated into the game. Christopher picks it up, goes, ah, whoom, and takes off in the other direction. You know that happy dance. I got the ball and I ain't letting go. I don't trust you all. I can't believe you included me in this game. I don't think I'll ever see this ball for the rest of my life. So I'm outie. And then you wind up chasing them. They tackle them. They get in a fight. Someone cries. And I want to stab this ball with a knife. So I, t I tell you that simply because I feel like a lot of times, that's how we approach God when it comes to the call in our lives. 
We cry out to God. We want him to hear our call. And when he hears us and he answers us and he throws us straight into the hand his call, our first temptation with the opportunities and availabilities, the gifts, the talents, the passion, and the purpose he's put in our life is we run the other direction. Because what happens if I trust this with you and I have to give it back? It'll never come my way again, will it? But maybe tonight we can be courageous enough to say, into your hands, Lord, I commit my call. And I kind of think that's where we're at. I'm just going to do that. Boom, strike. (laughs) I think that's where we've been at in our journey with Psalm 31. I think it's kind of where the psalmist is at in his cry. He's talking about the times that the Lord has shown him the wonders of his love, and he wants us to remember to be strong, to take heart. And one of the things that I think he's going to notice, that we're going to notice together tonight, that once you commit into the hands of God, you're calling You've called out to him, and then he's called out to you. You put it in his hands. A lot of times we think, that's when my work is done. I've done all the hard work. But as the psalmist is going to realize, that's when the real waiting begins. That's when the battles get bigger. And that's when the challenges get even deeper and greater. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 31 tonight. If you don't, we'll put it on the screen. We're going to be reading verses 19 through the end of the chapter. Psalm 31. I'll pray for us while we're turning there. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and would you make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Psalm 31 Starting in verse 19. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me. When I was in a besieged city, in my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong, take heart, all who hope in the Lord. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Be Be strong, take heart, all who hope in the Lord. In the Lord. So if you're just here tonight and you're trying to figure out your calling, like, hey, Chris, you're talking about into your hands, I commit my call, I got no idea what that means. Great place, I think, that the psalmist is telling us what you might want to start when you're trying to figure out what does God uniquely knit me together in my mother's womb to do here on this earth? What are the things God is calling and cultivating in and through me that he wants to expand his kingdom, demonstrate his gospel, and just show others uh, this incredible, generous, loving God who's got good things stored up for those who worship him. I would say, where were you when you cried out to him for mercy and he showed you the wonders of his love? Is there a place or a season of your chapter in your life when you felt, I'm cut off, he can't hear me? I feel like I'm a city under siege. All I see is enemies, adversaries, obstacles, financial trouble, relationship difficulty, family stuff. I I feel totally cut off from a good and gracious and loving God. And I cried out in mercy, Lord, help me. And he actually proved himself faithful. 
Those are some of the fingerprints of God on the DNA of your soul. And as you begin to examine those, oftentimes those are key people, key experiences, and key ways that the Lord has used to start to cultivate your heart to express hope and healing within the context of his kingdom. So that's, that's a great place to start thinking and looking for what was the passion that has been prompted by the pain in your life? What are the brooks, bricks and mortars of your call? And where are the places that you didn't shy away from suffering but walked right through it and God proved himself to be good and loving? Because we know that's where the glittering of the gold of the gospel comes in. All right, I'm gonna try this. This talk is half-baked, so you're going to have to pray for me through this, okay? When I was reading through this text, praying through it over the last couple of weeks, started going with this talk, and it just went in a totally different direction. So I might get really excited and really passionate and make absolutely no sense. So I just want to give you that heads up. So help me with this talk. Um, I think we'll try to do it again later if it's really, really bad. Um, you're welcome. Uh, but as I was looking through this, this is a psalm from David. And just refreshing my memory with the story of his life, if, if you've never heard the story of David, you're about to get some cliff notes for him. But again, it's King David, right? He was this poet, this warrior, and this king, this like man's man. He is the Davidic line. That's a fancy word for saying God was going to establish a kingdom through him that Jesus was going to come through so his kingdom would have no end. He's one of the great characters in scripture whose life we love to look at and see how God worked uh, in his life, and I can imagine him penning some of the words of this during some of the deepest conflicts of his life, looking back to understand how God proved himself faithful, but looking forward going, Lord, I need you to get me out of a tight spot. So the first place that we're going to find David is in the shepherd's field. So if you're familiar, it's King Saul over Israel. He's disobeyed God, and so the prophet Samuel's come to anoint a new king from God, and uh, he asked Jesse, hey, get all your sons together, line them up like the usual suspects, and I'm going to go duck, duck, goose over them in a really spiritual way and figure out which one God is going to anoint as king. That's loose translation. Um, <laughs> so Samuel gets done. He's just like, uh, Lord didn't say anything. Do you have any other sons? They're like, yeah, but it's David. <laughs> David wasn't even considered by his brothers or his dad of someone who might have leadership quality. He's a kid who's working for his dad part-time out in the shepherd's field. Not his dad or his brothers even consider him for God wanting to use him in remarkable and powerful ways. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if it because he grew up in a big family, resources were limited, father's attention was limited. I don't know if he was never told, hey, dream big dreams about how God might want to use you or if he was just told, hey, you, there's really not a lot of options for you. I don't know if his brothers picked on him because he's always writing poetry. I don't know if his dad thought, hey, he's too sensitive to ever be a really qualified leader. I don't know if they made fun of him for having ginger hair. I don't know what the whole circumstances of his childhood were. I just know that neither, no one in his family even considered him that someone, that God would use him. And he comes out of the shepherd's field and the Holy Spirit says, Samuel, that's the one. And he anoints him. I just need you to know, some of you in here are here tonight, and you feel like you're in the shepherd's field, and I just need to know this, that no one or nothing can stand in the way of God anointing his authority and his power in his life except for you. And as a matter of fact, if someone has discounted you and sidelined you, it's only going to fast track God's agenda in your life. So he gets anointed, 
He has anointed the rightful king of Israel. And then Samuel takes him straight to the throne room. Wrong. Where does David go after he's anointed the king of Israel? Straight back to the shepherd's field. The one place he thought God would deliver him from after he's anointed, after God calls out and confirms in his life passion and purpose, he goes straight back to the shepherd's field. You're struggling tonight to commit your call into the hands of God. The first thing I want you to hear tonight is don't despise the shepherd's field. Don't you dare despise the shepherd's field. A lot of you are in it right now and not in a thousand years can you see how this circumstance, this job, or this relationship has anything to do with the calling of God in your life. You can't understand how God is ever going to use what Satan intended for evil, but God is going to turn back around, subvert Satan's own kingdom, and turn it around for his good. But if you commit your call into the living, loving hands of God, he can and he will redeem all things and bring about your good and his glory but you can't despise the shepherd's field. Don't despise the waiting. Don't despise him cultivating your character so that your competencies can actually bear the weight of the leadership and influence he wants to bestow upon you. So one, don't despise the shepherd's field. Two, after that, right, because again, this is the the anchor phrase in Psalm uh, 31 I want us to continue to hone in on. Let the Lord show us the wonders of his love. Be strong, take heart, all who hope in the Lord. Second thing is don't retreat from the battlefield. So David finally gets his big break. His dad comes out to the shepherd's field and hands him a sword. He goes, all right, son, get in there. Is that what happens? No. His dad comes out and goes, I want you to go to the battlefield. I don't know if David's like, sweet, I got my sling. I don't know if David's in the shepherd field fighting imaginary giants while he's trying to kill predatory animals with his little sling. I don't know. But I can imagine his dad comes out, he validates him, he honors him, he says, time to go to the battlefield. Great, I'll get my sling. He says, no, actually, here, take these Lunchables to your brother. <laughs> no, 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 David, not for, again, not for you. King of Israel wouldn't want you to get hurt. And it, just, just, just quick side note. So many of you who have these God-sized dreams and this passion and purpose and you're waiting for God to orchestrate all of these things, you're looking for a place to rule and God's calling you for a place to serve. And you're gonna miss it if you don't look at the service as an opportunity to build authority and influence. He's taking his brother's lunch and he's obedient. He's the king of Israel. And maybe the Lord is already preparing him. Hey, if you want to be a good king, you're someone who serves the people. And so why don't you start by the ones who know you best and then probably the ones who dislike you the most, your brothers. And so he goes up, serves his brother's lunch. He overhears a taunt by this big Goliath guy who's making fun of God and God's people. He is not trained. He's not been in the military. He doesn't have the right equipment. But something prophetically unleashes in him and he says, oh, heck no. That, I don't roll like that. I may have just been in the shepherd's field this whole time, but God's been crafting me. We've been in a relationship. We've been talking. We've been praying. And when I hear someone taunt my God, I don't sit back and wait on tactics. I'm ready to rush forward into the battlefield. 
And they pull him aside and they're like, oh, no, 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 here, here, here. Take Saul's armor. Take Saul's big sword. He puts it on. It's too heavy. It's not a right fit. And he has to practice standing up to power and authority and presumed ways that he should lead and say, no, that's not for me. And some of you just need to hear this tonight. Maybe the biggest wall that you're hitting when you're trying to pursue God's call on your life is you're trying to mimic Saul rather than follow God. Because he's got a sling for you, not a sword yet. And you're trying to swing somebody else's armor, do it somebody else's way, but you need to stand up and say, that's not how my God is using me, crafting me, or the trajectory of my story. And so he goes out, and he has kind of, I'm I'm sorry if the last time I've seen good movies is the 80s, but he just has this (laughs) Wyatt Earp moment where you're getting pinned down, and he just is like, no, no just comes out and he opens, starts shooting, right? And he just gets to a place where I would rather die trying than to sit back and retreat and measure success. I don't, I don't have the right resources. I don't have the right equipment. I'm not the right soldier in this whole army, but you've taunted God and you've offended me and I'm not retreating from the battlefield. Don't despise the shepherd's field. Don't retreat from the battlefield if you're going to commit into the hands of a loving God. Let him show you the wonders of his love. Be strong. Take heart. All of those who hope in the Lord. The last thing is, eventually he'll bring you to an open field where you're designed to rule and reign in partnership with him. And here's what you need to hear. Don't shy away from suffering or sacrifice. Once you get to the place, finally, where you're God has granted you authority and anointing and people to impact and to serve in a profound way. We think we've arrived and it's time for other people to serve us. We think, oh, now the suffering's done. I've paid my dues. But I would tell you in King David's life and in my life and in all my friends' life, the second you commit your hands into the call of God, he brings you to an open field where he says, bring about my will on earth as it is in heaven. The suffering and sacrifice has just begun. And it's gonna cost even more. But he's cultivated your heart in the shepherd's field. He's made you strong in the battlefield. And he's made you ready to serve and sacrifice more and more for your king and his cause. Because you hold things with an open hand and go, anything you've entrusted with me, it's yours anyway. So am I really sacrificing it? Or did I just have the illusion of control and ownership for a short season? Into your hands, I commit my call. Now, I know it's easy to say, yeah, it's great, Chris, but I'm not King David. You're right, you're not, neither am I. But if we follow Jesus, he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords, so that means royal blood flows through your veins. If you're following him, you're a part of his priestly kingdom. And Jesus, by the way, who is the great shepherd, the good shepherd, spent 30 years living in obscurity. No one knew his name. He didn't start his ministry. He worked for his dad. He spent plenty of time in the shepherd's field. Then when it came time to enter the battlefield for the hearts and souls of men and women, when it came time for him to suffer, he didn't shy away. And when it was time, he refused to spill other people's blood. Rather, he allowed his own blood to be spilled on the cross that his life, death, and resurrection could make a way for us to become sons and daughters, a royal priesthood, a holy generation of saints set apart 
to expand the goodness and glory of his kingdom where his rule and reign exists. And where injustice and oppression and people who are broken can find someone that would fight for them. In the name of Jesus. So here's the last little picture I'll give you. See if this is helpful. When, when you think of ruling and authority, especially in terms of kingship, there's three images that come to my mind. Uh, one is the ruling scepter, right? That signifies authority. Two is like the mighty sword that the warrior king carries. That signifies power. And then there's the crown on the head. That signifies purpose, right? I have a purpose here. I am to represent. I am to rule. I am to reign. And I am to govern this area of influence. And I imagine when all of us think about our call, we all have this vision and grandeur where you can put it in whatever terms it is, but you've got the sword of power, you've got the scepter of authority, and you've got the crown of purpose, and you are ruling and reigning along with God, but a lot of times it's not for his glory, it's for your own. But the way of Jesus takes a different route to get you to that place. The way of Jesus and the way of King David was this. To rule with the scepter, he first had to, had to learn how to lead with a staff, which was humility. Don't despise the shepherd's field. Before he could fight with the power of the sword, he had to learn how to serve with a sling. That's service. And before he could wear the crown of significance, he had to bear the cross of suffering, which is sacrifice. Under Saul, as the rightful king, he still was persecuted underneath him and refused to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So my question for you guys tonight, I'm gonna have the band come up and we're gonna rip the roof off of this place in a second. And we're, we're gonna, it's gonna be a battle cry, it's gonna be an open field cry, and it's gonna be a shepherd's cry that we believe into your hands, Lord, we're committing our call and we're not cut off from your sight. But one of the things that we love to do right after sitting at the, the word of God is to listen to God. So we're gonna take 120 seconds in listening prayer and I would ask you to do this. Where are you at right now? Just identify, are you in the shepherd's field? Do you feel like you're in the battlefield? Or do you feel like you just stepped foot in an open field where the Lord's calling you into greater influence and impact and you're just not sure how it's all gonna happen? Just ask the Lord, where, what season do you have me in right now? And then I would ask, Jesus, what do I need most for this season of life? Are you calling me to greater humility? Are you calling me to deeper contentment right where I'm at? Are you calling me to be faithful with little and so that I can be faithful with much? Is he calling you to deeper sacrifice? Is he calling you in the midst of suffering to be strong, to take heart, and not give up for those who hope in the Lord? Or is he calling you just to deeper service and to realize that what he's put in your hands, you need to leverage everything that you have, even when you don't think it's a lot, to serve those closest to you and far away from you. So Jesus, would you speak to us as your children, whether we're in the shepherd's field, the battlefield, or the open field? 
And by the power of your spirit, would you give us humility? Would you give us the ability to serve? And would you give us the ability to sacrifice for the benefit of others? We love you, Lord, and we listen to you.